It's Friday, May 25th, and this is The Daily Dive. In the next phase of the disgusting Harvey Weinstein saga, the Manhattan District Attorney's Office will be charging him in connection with at least one of his accusers, Lucia Evans. Weinstein is expected to surrender to police later today. We will speak to BuzzFeed News reporter Claudia Rosenbaum for more on this. And in an interesting turn of events, President Trump has called off a meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. The president said in a letter that due to the tremendous anger and open hostility of North Korea, the meeting had to be called off. But he did leave open the possibility of still meeting. We'll speak to Politico reporter Daniel Lippman for more. Finally, we'll hear the end of our conversation with Rich Shapiro, who wrote about the collar bomb heist, the subject of Netflix's latest true crime show, Evil Genius. It was one of the strangest cases the FBI ever dealt with, and we'll find out what happened to the mastermind of the plot. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Go to the bathroom. Please, I don't want to do something I don't want to do. Go to the bathroom. Come here, listen to me. I want to go downstairs. I'm not going to do anything. You'll never see me again after this. Okay, that's it. If you don't, if you embarrass me in this hotel, I'm not embarrassing stay. you. Just it's walk. just that I don't, I don't feel comfortable. I mean, don't have a thing with me in the it's hall. Not nice. Please, I'm not going to do anything. I swear, my children. Joining us now is Claudia Rosenbaum, BuzzFeed news reporter. Thank you for joining us, Claudia. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about Harvey Weinstein. It seems like it's finally all going to come to an end soon, maybe. It seems like he's, he's going to be turning himself in, uh, they said, after charges from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. It's probably not the end. It's probably the beginning for him, you know, with criminal proceedings and so on. So it's, it's going to be starting a new chapter for him where he's going to have to defend himself in court. What are we expecting these charges to be? Well, Lucia Evans reported to the police, the Manhattan Police Department, that in 2004 that Harvey Weinstein cornered her and forced her to perform oral sex on him in 2004. And New York, unlike a lot of other states, doesn't have a statute of limitations on aggravated sexual assault crimes. So that is a case that falls within the statute of limitations that could be brought in New York. So that's what people are expecting the case to be. And they're still uh, investigating him in Los Angeles and in, is it London or, or France? He's still facing some charges? Yeah, there def- there's different jurisdictions that are still looking into him. Um, Los Angeles, you know, has the case before them. They haven't said, the district attorney here hasn't said, you know, whether they will be proceeding. But the police department here has handed off their investigation report to the district attorney. So people are just waiting in the interim. And what was Lucia Evans' story? Well, she was just a college student at the time, and, you know, she told the New Yorker in October that she met Weinstein at the Cipriani Upstairs Club the summer before her senior year in Middlebury College, and during the 2004 meeting, she, she, she told him that she wanted to be an actor, and she gave Weinstein her number, and he kept asking her out, and she kept turning him down, but one time she did finally agree, because he told her it was going to be a reading with a casting executive at Miramax, and so she went to this reading. But when she got to the building, which was full of people, she was taken to an office with exercise equipment and takeout boxes on the floor. And Weinstein discussed with her these two possible movie projects that she could be in, but told her that she needed to lose weight first. And then he allegedly forced her to perform oral sex on him. And we know a lot of his motives, uh, or a lot of how he would do this, you know, corner women and kind of give them no other option, basically. And he'd masturbate in some in front of some of them, but there's potential for a lot of charges. I know that the district attorney's office in Manhattan was also looking into 
allegations from Paz de la Huerta as well? Uh, yeah, they haven't. I mean, we don't know exactly what the charges were going to be announced. Um, it's just all like reported innuendos at this point. But, you know, she uh, also filed a police report against him in New York so that there is a possibility that that could come before the court tomorrow. And also, I just wanted to mention, I don't know if you're how interested, but there's going to be a whole procedure when he, you know, reportedly surrenders to the Manhattan Police Department. He's going to be fingerprinted. A mugshot's going to be taken. He's going to be searched thoroughly. He's going to have to take the laces off of his shoes and then you know, his belt off, and and then he's going to be brought before a judge, an arraignment judge, and there are going to be bail discussions perhaps in like $250,000 or more might have to be presented before he would, you know, the judge would at least agree to release him from custody. And giving yourself up just really uh, avoids the embarrassment of having police arrest you? Exactly. And, you know, I mean, if these are the charges, you know, this Lucy Evans cases against him is what's going to be brought up. I mean, they're serious charges. Aggravated sexual assault in New York comes with a maximum penalty of 25 to life. I was just talking to this senior trial attorney, Vincent Spada, at the Strazulo Law Firm, who was running me through the procedure and what would happen. Claudia Rosenbaum, BuzzFeed News reporter. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, thank you. It's possible that the existing summit could take place or a summit at some later date. Nobody should be anxious. We have to get it right. If and when Kim Jong-un chooses to engage in constructive dialogue and actions, I am waiting. Joining us now is Daniel Lippman. He's the co-author of the Politico playbook. President Trump called off the big summit with Kim Jong-un scheduled for June 12th in Singapore. He wrote a letter to uh, Kim Jong-un expressing his thoughts over it. So what was in his, uh, in his letter? Basically, he said that you know, he couldn't go forward with the summit because Kim Jong-un didn't seem to want denuclearization. Even if he didn't say those words in the letter, uh, it feels like North Korea plays this game every time they engage with the U.S., which is promise a lot going at the start, and, you know, have lots of sweet words of we're going to be a good uh, actor on the global stage. And then as things, you know, as the rubber begins to hit the road, then it's kind of back to the usual threats. Uh, and that's what we saw yesterday with the over-the-top rhetoric uh, in terms of calling Pence, you know, a dummy and stupid, even though, you know, what he said is something that most Americans can agree with, talking about the importance of uh, actually denuclearizing in the way that uh, Libya did. Let's get into that a little bit. In the letter that President Trump sent to Kim Jong-un, he said, sadly, based on the tremendous anger and open hostility displayed in your most recent statements, it's inappropriate at this time to have this long planned meeting. So he's referring to some statements that North Korean officials made about Vice President Mike Pence when uh, he was defending John Bolton, talking about the Libya model. What is that about? What does he mean by that? The Libya model refers to Muammar Gaddafi, longtime leader of uh, Libya. He gave up his nuclear program, which had not actually gotten to the uh, you know, actual weapons, but was on the course to do that right after the Iraq war. And there was no invasion of Libya after that. But during the Arab Spring, people of many Middle Eastern countries and Arab countries rose up 
to ask freedom, and Gaddafi was ousted and killed by his own people. And that is something that Kim Jong-un does not want as his fate. And it's not like he can go to his people and be like, well, you know, I've had such a great economy and you guys are doing so well in terms of household income. That is something that's going to take decades if there is ever a thaw in economic relations. That's an easier argument for you know, a leader from China to make because their economy is going really well. But for North Korea, the hermit kingdom, uh, he really can't say that. It seems like they kind of got spooked by it a little bit. You know, if you're saying this is the model we want to use, well, one, we don't know if we're on the same on the same terms with complete denuclearization with North Korea. They don't want to give everything up and not have sanctions relief coming right away. They give everything up. They feel like they have n- nothing else to play with. There's no leverage for them. And so I, I, I can understand on their side being very hesitant by this, but they called Mike Pence a dummy and that really incensed the president. It's not even the language itself. It's more like the signals that it gives to the U.S and the State Department about North Korea's intentions. When they had first agreed to the summit, Trump was saying all these nice things about Kim Jong-un because he wanted to increase his chances of a uh, successful meeting. But saying that you know he's a good guy and that he cares about world peace, that does not automatically lead to him just giving up his weapons. Kim Jong-un in North Korea, they obtain nuclear weapons through billions of dollars of research and work, and they're not going to give them up for you know, a simple pat on the back from President Trump. This is a strategic objective of the regime. It keeps the regime in power. It helps do that. And anything that jeopardizes that, it was, you know, it's kind of a bridge too far right now. Another interesting thing that just yesterday, before the president made his announcement to cancel the meeting, North Korea was in the process of destroying one of their uh, nuclear sites. They invited a bunch of journalists. They blew up the tunnels. I know there's some skepticism whether he can reopen that uh, or not. But on their end, they were still, it seemed like they were still trying to be part of a summit. In some extent, yes. But Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, he said that uh, North Korea was not responding to their requests to meet and finalize the logistics. Uh, That was going to be a meeting next week. Right. That was the other twist that came out. They're doing things on their end. And then, like you said, Mike Pompeo, you know, they're not readying teams to to make this summit actually happen. That test site that you talked about, they had so many nuclear explosions that it didn't actually work anymore and that it was a tired mountain, basically. Yeah, that was... It's not like they could have... It was of any practical use anymore. So it's kind of like a Potemkin Village thing. It's like having your kids say, well, we lost a car, but on the good news, you know, we get to uh, buy a new car. Right. <laughs> and that that's always been a lot of the skepticism. They're not really fully coming to the table with anything, and they just, you know, looking for the easy way to get some sanctions relief. What have uh, congressmen and senators, what have people in the realm been saying about the move by the president? Trump hasn't gotten too much flack or criticism from senators of either parties. Basically, people were talking about how he didn't, they didn't want him to get rolled during the summit. And so there was this fear that since he's new to international diplomacy, that he would basically give up the farm and have lots of concessions. And in the end, North Korea would keep their nuclear weapons and they would have gained billions of dollars of money and international respect. And the fact that he was even meeting with him in the first place, that 
is almost a sign that he's his equal, the U.S., the American president's equal, when this guy is a tin pot dictator who has tortured and killed his own people, hundreds of thousands of them, and killed his own family uh, to stay in control. So this is not... Uh, this is a guy who's worse than Vladimir Putin, and that's saying something. Well, the president did end his note to Kim Jong-un saying that he would still like to meet, and if uh, please don't hesitate to call me or write me if you change your mind and they can continue to have the summit. Obviously, right now it seems like nothing is going to happen on June 12th, but it would be something great for the world if this were to to proceed with, but it just seems like everything we will get we keep getting to a point and then everything collapses from there. And I think that this is a letter that I'm sure was helped crafted by the State Department, but it, it sounds like President Trump trying to be as polite as possible. So it looks like he wrote it himself. Even some of the last language that you had uh, quoted, like when I met with him during the transition, he said, let me know anytime I can help. And so, you know, if you help people write, it stays the same. You know, when, you're, when you, when you uh, email someone, you often have the same style. And so it kind of rings true about the fact that this was a letter written by the president. Daniel Lippman, co-author of The Political Playbook, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. When you think about this crime, the degree to which it was planned, it's kind of these these diabolical scavenger hunts, the, the brutality of, of, of how it was plotted, it's hard to imagine that the sole motivation was to was profit from a bank robbery. Where we last left off, we had just found out about the body that Bill Rothstein had in his freezer in his garage. It was what got the dominoes falling and led to Marjorie Deal Armstrong being arrested. Remember that at the time, something like this had never happened before in the history of the FBI. Brian Wells, a 40-something pizza delivery man, robbed a bank with a bomb collared to his neck and a gun made to look like a cane. The bomb later exploded, killing him, and the story just got weirder from there. The mastermind was once a beautiful and intelligent woman who suffered from mental illness and wanted to have her father killed. The evil scavenger hunt concocted to throw police off was just a ruse that co-conspirator Bill Rothstein used to prove his intelligence. And the bomb victim, Brian Wells, we found out that he was in on the initial planning of the heist. Here is the end of our interview with journalist Rich Shapiro where we find out the fate of Marjorie Dill Armstrong and Bill Rothstein. Bill Rothstein, you know, was racked with guilt about all this stuff and supposedly uh, tried to commit suicide at one point. And he wrote in his note, at the very top of it, it said, this has nothing to do with the Brian Wells case, which automatically just seems like it's going to bring more scrutiny to it. They're going to look in deeper. Uh, You know, we never mentioned this case. It's just a weird thing to put in it, but... You know, investigators, they described Bill Rothstein as this person who was super intelligent, never really went anywhere in his life, and that this whole plot, because he was part of it, was an attempt to maybe show show people that he was something more, leave police with an unsolvable mystery, and that he can get away with it. When you think about this crime, um, the the degree to which it was planned, it's kind of these, these diabolical scavenger hunts, the, the brutality of, of, of how it was plotted, it's hard to imagine that the sole motivation was to was, was profit from a bank robbery. Um, it doesn't quite make sense. If, if you're trying to, if, you're, if your only motivation is to, is to make a lot of money, you go in, you, you rob a bank, you walk out, and then maybe you go rob another bank. You don't set up this 
very, very strange scavenger hunt that ends with a pizza delivery man getting killed by a bomb strapped around his neck. So for uh, some kind of uh, outside investigators and some observers of the case, the suggestion that this was all kind of motivated by money and greed uh, was never really satisfying. And in the end, uh, FBI criminal investigators said that he really got what he wanted. He he ended up dying of cancer, but he died a free man. They never, he, they knew he was part of this plot, but they never convicted him, anything like that. So he kind of got what he wanted in this whole thing. Yeah, if 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 it's true that that uh, that that was kind of the uh, Bill Rothstein's motivation in being a part of this, then then yes, it's you 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 can't dispute the fact that. He essentially died a free man. He was never charged with the crime. He was never arrested for the crime. He never spent a day in in jail for this crime. And he denied it to his last breath. So there are those who believe that he was the one who, who kind of played the police and who won. And what happened of Marjorie Deal Armstrong in this whole thing? Uh, everybody had said she was the mastermind. She wanted to kill her father because he was spending her inheritance money and then through Bill Rothstein and all the other players, they concocted this crazy scheme. What happened to her? She ended up uh, going to prison, and she ended up, I mean, she was already in prison for the killing of Jim Rodin, and, and then she was convicted in the Brian Wells murder, and she ultimately lived the, the next seven years in prison, and she died uh, last year of complications to cancer. It's a fascinating story. And the prosecutors in the case said it was a ludicrous, overwrought, overworked, desperately failed plan. And when you go through how outlandish some of these twists and turns are, I mean, it is so crazy to believe that this was real, uh, real life. It sounds like the plot of a movie. But we'll point people to your piece, The Incredible True Story of the Collar Bomb Heist, Rich Shapiro. He's a journalist based in New York. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. It was it's it's the strangest story I've ever uh, it's the strangest case I've ever looked into and it was a very 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 difficult story to write because of all of the bizarre twists and turns. Right. And we only were able to touch on some of it uh here on the in this interview, uh, but the piece is great. I suggest people go and read it. I suggest people see the Netflix show as well, Evil Genius. Uh just to really fully try to understand what this story is about. It's really good. Uh, thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All right, that's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. We love the feedback, so don't forget to leave us comments and give us a rating. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.